Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and we're recording today's episode on November 9th. A few leaves are hanging on the branches outside, but we're not confused. It's cold. It's blustery. Winter is coming. Of course, what that means for you seniors is that we are marching towards major application deadlines. I'm not sure you need me to remind you of that, though. Uh, Probably you're well aware. By the time this airs next week, we'll have just two more weeks until the UC application deadline on November 30th and just six weeks until January 1st. On today's show, we'll talk through the supplemental essays for USC, who have a December 1st deadline for scholarship considerations, and we'll be looking at the net price calculator, a favorite topic among many of our resident financial aid nerds. But first, let's stick to a topic that some of our academic nerds can appreciate, grades. It's the senior year. Many of you 12th graders might be wondering, does my performance this year really matter? Joining me to answer this question and others is my friend from way out east, formerly of the Yale University Admission Office, and always perched at the top of any alphabetized list, Amy Alexander. Welcome, Amy. (laughs) Thank you, Ian. It's great to have you back on the show. I guess I'm going to start with the biggest question I can. Okay. Uh, Do senior year grades matter? Well, to answer that, uh, I will say an emphatic yes, and for a couple of reasons. They do matter. Um, And I think, you know, I'll go into it in more specific details, but just the overarching reasons. One, colleges are going to require you to submit a final grade report, a final transcript when you accept their offer. So that's in the spring of your senior year. If your grades drop drastically, if um, your performance is not as good as it, it had been, they very well can rescind your offer. So grades will, in fact, matter. Um, the other reason they matter is, for those of you seniors applying now for a regular decision, which is January 1st, a lot of colleges will, in fact, see your first marking period or even your first semester grades. Guidance of admissions officers, rather, will often call guidance counselors if they're you know, someone's on the edge and they'll say, listen, can you send us a grade report or can you tell us how Johnny is doing in the first quarter or first trimester? So they do, in fact, matter. So I wanted to, so RD, I think, is it's a really great point. And the, the majority of students apply RD, but more and more students mm-hmm. these days are applying ED and EA. We just passed our big November mm-hmm. 1 deadline. I mean, I don't know about you, but it feels like even more students this year are pushing for that crunch. It just seems like it gets bigger and bigger every year. Um, what about for those students? I mean, they might be in a boat where they're like, hey, I'm free and easy. I, I already sent in my application. I'm going to get a decision before my grades are even ready. Do those students' grades matter, at least in the context of the initial decision? 
Well, you know, that's a, that's a great, I have a great answer. Um, you know, probably not in terms of their admissions decision that's being made right now. You know, the committee mm-hmm. that is sitting around, they're reading applications, they're going to bring them to committee. The, the advocate for the particular application will probably present them really in the next couple of weeks, right? Decisions come out mid-December. Right. But with that said... They do matter because what if you apply early action or early decision and you're deferred? So if you're deferred, you're then put into that regular decision pool where those, again, those admissions officers might be making phone calls to the guidance counselor saying, you know what, we really like Johnny, but how are his first semester grades? And those are going to come into play. So although maybe not for the early action or early decision, actual you know, committee discussion or what they're going to see, but it is going to come back at some point. So, you know, I tell my students, listen, you can't slack off. You just can't slack off senior year. You have to keep up. Now, you know, when I say they're going to rescind an offer, it really has to be extreme. So let's say, for example, a student is typically an A and B student and they get one C their senior year. The college is not going to rescind the offer. But if that typically A, B student gets a D or a couple Cs or an F, forget it. You know, it really, and I had a student, I have an actual case where that happened this year. Um, And the student was devastated, called the admissions office and said, what can I do? I'll take it in the summer. I'll come to college and retake the course. And they went back and forth with the dean and it was a no at first. And they ended up working out a scenario because she got good grades and everything, but one class that she really struggled with. So, you know, I tell my students, you really do have to think about your grades and maintain your performance. That's right. And one of the things that we often come back to, and I feel like this question comes out on our college coach listserv almost every year, which is what what are schools doing in terms of asking for those first quarter grades when they make their ED and EA decisions? And it sounds like there are cases where colleges will call guidance counselors to ask what those students' grades look like. And I would I would guess, and this is this is consistent with my experience in admission, that I'm I'm more likely to make a call for a student who's on the bubble. Um, If Mm -hmm. I have a student who academically is competitive, but not quite a slam dunk, that might be a situation where I call that guidance counselor just to say, you know, how how is she doing this year? Is she in a position where she's going to get good grades this fall? Or are we expecting her to have sort of a downslide? And so some of those students, especially if you're on the bubble, it can be important to do well in this first quarter because there may be colleges that are calling your guidance counselor to ask what your status looks like. Yeah, you know, I totally agree with that. I think the other thing, too, is, you know, maybe you might be up for a scholarship. And if your grades right. dip, you might not be, you know, in contention for that scholarship. So they might be using those first semester grades, if you will, or even the whole senior year. So, you, you know, you just do want to pay attention to those things for a variety of reasons. There's, it also just, I think... You know, I have three, uh, I have three children myself who've been through the process right. and two are currently in college. And, you know, I, the, the last one was kind of slowing down a little bit. And I said, listen, you want to stay prepared for college. So if you slack off, you won't be in the right mindset. So it's just a positive thing all around you know, for a variety of reasons. You know, the other thing I wanted to bring up is a lot of times students will say, oh, I'm applying, like you said, Ian, I'm applying early action, early decision. You know, I didn't want to take physics, or I didn't want to take world history. So they'll drop it second semester. I I wanted to ask about that, yeah. 
Yeah, I would say think very long and hard before you do that because it could impact your admissions decisions. And again, it could impact your scholarship potential. So if there is a very strong, compelling reason, of course, you know, it it does happen. But if it's just because, oh, I was just going to take it first semester and now I'm dropping it, I would be very, very wary of doing that. Yeah, that's something that, you know, basically, and you'll see this in the text of an offer, you know, they'll say this is, this is sort of contingent on you completing the rest of your senior mm-hmm. year at the sim- similar level of academic achievement. And if you go and, and drop a bunch of classes in, in the spring of your senior year, that's not holding up your end of that bargain in terms of that offer. Um, but there can I, there are cases where dropping a class mm-hmm. sometimes is better. I, I have a student that I worked with last year. And he was in a very advanced math class. It was, uh, I think it was linear algebra. And he was potentially going to get a C minus in this class. It was a really, really challenging class. And he'd already done multivariable calculus. And that C minus was going to trigger a re-review of mm. his application within the California system. Whereas anything that was a, a C or better would not have triggered a re-review. And dropping the class would not have triggered a re-review. So he dropped the class. The grade didn't show up he didn't get re-reviewed in terms of his application decision. So there can be some cases and there are some systems, California is one that comes to mind where those senior grades only matter to a point. If you're above that C minus range, they're not doing any kind of uh, a re-review and I'll put an asterisk on that. But occasionally you do have to be aware of what that system's needs are going to be and how they approach the process. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You do want to look at, you know, Texas has its own system, University of California. You really want to pay attention to, to that. And also state schools have certain criteria. I think the other thing, I mean, you're closer to it. You lived in California for a while. But, you right. know, when you first asked the question of the segment, do senior year grades matter? Well, interestingly, for University of California, they really only use 10th and 11th grades for the review process. Now, you need right. those, obviously, for the final report and to get in, and you do have to fulfill your credits and your courses, and there's certain courses you have to take to even be in consideration for University of California. But, but it's, it's a trick question, because for them, I would <laughs> say they, they don't matter so much, right? Wouldn't you agree? Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the answer is not really. Um, uh, you know, as long as you're not really sort of going off the ledge in terms of your performance. Um, and the, but I did mention the asterisk earlier, and that, that asterisk comes with the, what happened with UC Irvine last year where they were dramatically yeah. over-enrolled, and they were in a position where they needed to cut some students from the list. And, and so they actually, were, they actually revoked admission for some students that had poor performance in their senior year. And that was a need that came from their end on enrollment management because they just had too many students. And that's actually an important thing to keep in mind for students everywhere is that the, the, the strictness of a school can differ from year to year depending mm-hmm. on what their enrollment numbers look like. Right. If they're underenrolled, they might not care so much if you if you got a couple of B's uh, and a C. But if they're overenrolled, they might be a little bit harsher on that. So it's hard to get a very uh, specific answer. Did you ever have anything uh, like that come up with with students or in any of the offices that you worked in where it was dramatically different from year to year? You know, I think that's a really good point um, because I do remember in working at the Yale admissions office, we had one year we were very excited. We, uh, sent many offers out, and 
way too many students accepted. And that was fine. We had enough room. We made it work. But the next year, we did take fewer. So I think um, we were just more stringent on uh, what we were looking for. And it was any little thing that was a little out of whack or a little performance that just slipped a little bit that maybe the year before we would have let go, we didn't that year. So you are, you know, that's a really good point. And why I tell students, don't slack off. Because you you may think, oh, science is not my thing, so I'll just kind of let that go and I'll focus on the other stuff. And, you know, I'll go out every day and do my ultimate frisbee practice and just not really do my physics homework. You know, that could end up being a reason maybe you don't get accepted to your top choice school. So you do have to really think about these things. Um, But like you said... And this is with just everything in general. It's finding a balance, right? I mean, you shouldn't be in a course like that linear algebra if you're getting a C minus. It's just not. Right. It's not a course you should be in. So right. if you sign up for something like a you know a physics AP course because you think it'll look good to colleges, but you are struggling through it to the point where you don't have time for extracurriculars, you don't have time then maybe you shouldn't be in that class, right? right? Or maybe you should drop down to a different level. Um, so there's a lot of, it's a lot of, there is, there definitely is strategizing, but there's also, you have to pay attention to um, where you can shine because that's what colleges right. are going to see ultimately. Now, I wanted to ask you about that change in classes because some students might say, I can't handle AP physics. I really need to be in regular physics. And I think that's a good decision mm-hmm. for that student. What then do you have to do to notify the schools where you've applied about that change in your schedule? Is that something you should be proactive about? Is it something that you should just sort of not say to anybody and hope that it doesn't go noticed? What would you advise there? You know, that's a good question. I think, A, it depends on timing. When is this happening? Right. Right. If you, um, you know, let's say you get your decision and then it happens, you know, if you drop and you're doing you're doing very well in the course, you know. I mean, I don't know. My feeling is, B, you always want to you always want to be honest. You don't want to like get caught in something. Right. But I do right. think in that example of AP Physics down to Honors Physics, depending when it is, you know, if you got your acceptance already for early action, you went down to Honors and you're getting an A. I don't think you have to report it. I think they'll be fine with that. But right. If you are struggling in an AP course and you drop it, uh, you know, right as soon as you send in the application and you don't say anything, I, I, I don't feel good about that. I do think you have right. to, um, especially if you're not picking up another course. If you are picking up another course, whether it's dropping down a level or picking another science course, um, you know, that's okay. But if you're just dropping it, you do have to inform them. You, I right. really believe yeah. you owe it to yourself because it, like we were saying before, it's going to show up on that final transcript and you don't want any reason for them to pull. If they've admitted too many students, you don't want any reason for them to rescind or to to um, find out from a guidance right. counselor that, oh, you were misleading, right? It's and always that, better that, to be honest. That mid-year report is a part of the app and that's something I think a lot of students often forget about because they do the secondary mm-hmm. school report. It's got the transcript and the letter of recommendation. But then there's also a mid-year report that the counselor sends out uh, to those common app schools. And that includes in just an update on progress. 
And it's usually very brief. But if there's been a change to what a student's taking, it usually shows up on that mid-year report. And so it's a good idea to maybe talk to your counselor, think about what's going to be on there. Uh, If you are making a change in your curriculum, maybe the mid-year report is sufficient. Uh, But you also might want to be proactive with schools and and talk to them a little bit about how to uh, approach it. Uh, Any other just final thoughts for students as they think about their, their senior year? we got about a minute left, Amy. Yeah, I mean, I just think... I think students, you know, if you're if you're going for a certain college, I just think that you want to maintain your performance. You want to maintain your level of your study habits, and you you want to keep caring. Um, and if you're not, yeah. then it's a bigger picture. Then it's then it's a bigger question. Should you be looking at X or Y school? So I just think it's really important to not slack off. I know it's hard. I've been through this with my own children. You get yeah. a little burnt out. But um, I think if you can just like, you know, push hard and keep doing it, you'll be happy with the results in the end. Um, I've just seen too many times where kids don't and then they don't end up getting where they want or with this case of the student I worked with last year where an offer was rescinded and it was just a horrible month trying to figure right. out where was she going to go, you know? Yes. One more semester of that class that's challenging is probably better than going through all the challenge of having to deal with that conversation. So think about it in the grand scheme of things, that one final semester, probably just just sort of, you know, buckle down, get it done. Um, Amy, that was great information for our seniors. I hope that they can sort of keep their heads down and stay focused. Uh, You have any big plans for, for Thanksgiving? Um, Just my kids are all coming back from college and we're going to my cousins. So it's going to be wonderful. Awesome. That's great. I hope you enjoy the holiday and uh, we'll look forward to having you back soon. Thank you so much, Ian. All right, folks, we're going to a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some very special essay supplements. So don't go anywhere. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You 
are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. And folks, I know that if you're a regular listener of our show, there's just no way that you're behind this process. You've been following along with us each week, hitting deadlines, keeping on task. But I bet you've got some family and friends who might need a little more direction than they've already got. At our website, we've got a really useful tool that can help students see deadlines and supplemental essay requirements for schools with just a few clicks. Point and click to getintocollege.com slash app view, A-P-P-V-I-E-W, and you can request the application information for up to five different schools in just one go. And don't tell anyone, but you can always resubmit for another five if you want. Uh, If you know students who have had trouble getting started, this is a great resource that might get them plugging away over Thanksgiving break. That's getintocollege.com slash app view. And if they were to put in USC as one of the schools on our site, they'd find a lot of interesting essay questions they might have to explore. Isn't that right, Emily? That's correct, Ian. Fans of the show will, of course, recognize that voice as our own Emily Toffelmeyer, formerly of the USC admission office, who traded in those three letters for NYC and a hat from college coach. <laughs> Emily, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Did you prepare that beforehand? I feel like that I, was not off the cuff. No way. It totally came off the top of my head. Um, wow. I know. It, it came off the top of my head last hour when I, when I wrote it. But yeah, um, okay. <laughs> it did not come off the top of my head in that moment. Well, let's talk about USC writing supplements because they're a little more clever than, I, than I'm able to be. Um, <laughs> I want to say, uh, first, I want to just read uh, from the USC admission website. Uh, they just have a, a very short um, piece that's, that talks about uh, the writing supplements. And they say, these written elements give you the opportunity to speak directly to the admission committee in your own voice. USC carefully reads and considers everything submitted. So make sure to use a style and vocabulary with which you are comfortable. Content, organization, and thoughtfulness are just as important as grammar, spelling, and diction. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say so. I think these are a great opportunity for additional information. I think they're, they're there for, for new stuff about you that isn't already covered in your resume and your main essay. Um, and it helps give a little more uh, just more facets to the student just so we can learn a little bit more about your other interests in addition to what you want to major in. Gotcha. So we've got um, the personal statement from the Common App, and then students are going to these pieces, um, and which is the definition, I guess, of a supplement. And I want to get to the short uh, response questions uh, later, but let's start with the first prompt. You've got three choices here um, for a 250-word essay. Uh, is there anything that students might think about as they're considering these three choices that could help them make a decision for what the best topic is for them? Um, I would just kind of go with your gut on this one. I think some students, one of these resonates more with them than others. Um, I'll point out, so there, there's option A, B, and C. Um, option B is asking a student to describe something outside of their intended academic focus that they're interested in learning. I think that's a right. great one for the interdisciplinary student, um, for somebody who maybe is applying for engineering, but also um, wants to take psychology classes or art history, and so new has a lot of different interests. Um, I think for the student who is very narrow-minded and has just one interest, obviously you should probably stay away from option B um, and check right. out the options in A and C instead. 
Right. And I, I wanted to ask you about that intended academic focus. Is that something where a student should go really far away from their area of interest? Um, or is it okay to say, well, I'm interested in physics and I'm also interested in learning about math? Um, is it, does it have to be dramatically different or is it just outside of the confines of that major? I don't think it has to, but I don't think it has to go too far out, but know your audience. The USC is really big on this idea of a Renaissance scholar of of people mm. having different disciplines they're interested in and of having breadth and depth. Um, so to me, I think that if, if I were reading and had that example, physics and math, I think like, really, there's nothing else? Like that's, that, those are so closely related. So I would encourage you to go really outside of, of your major, outside of your department. So if you are interested in physics, a lot of physics majors are also really into music. So you might want to mention music or art, mm. architecture. It can be from any of the schools on campus. And, it, and I'll point uh, out, it should be something you can actually learn at USC. I've had some students yeah. write about like how they want to learn about cooking. That's great, but it's not really relevant to a USC essay. <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah, probably not the best topic. It, I wanted to ask about that. Is it important to for students to understand? I don't know, kind of the the red tape of enrolling in classes that are in different schools. Is it important for them to know, say, which business classes they might be eligible to take as a science major and vice versa? I mean, is that something you're looking for in this essay or is it okay for them to talk conceptually about ideas that they're excited by? Yeah, I think you can stay conceptual because remember you do only have, I think, 250 words for this. So I don't think you need to get really specific about a you know business 400 level class that you looked up online and you want to take. So I think you can just say, you know, I'm probably going to major in physics, but um, in high school, I never had time to take this journalism class that really interested me. So I'm hoping that at USC, I can also take some intro to journalism courses, maybe write for the online student newspaper, that type of thing. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. And um, I want to come actually want to transition to the second question and then come back to the other two options first, because I think the second question is related here, uh, which is describe how you plan to pursue your academic interests at USC. Please feel free to address your first and second choice major selections. Now, that's a question that I think does that have to be specifically researched? In, in terms of understanding what the USC structure of that discipline is going to be, or is this something that can be more conceptual? I think this one you should get more specific. I think B is kind of light enough to let you just be conceptual, but I think if you're choosing a certain major at USC, like you're, their review is done within the context of your major choice, so they're looking for fit, and they do want you to demonstrate that you have an understanding of what the major is, especially for really intensive majors like engineering, if you don't seem to have any clue what that actually entails, you're probably not going to be a good fit for the program. So I think you need to name specifically the major or majors you're interested in. Um, maybe cite some specific courses, faculties, specialties, emphases, things like that. Um, and just stick to academics in this question. It says it right there. But even with that clear language about staying academic in this question, students will still talk about football and Los Angeles weather and just don't, don't write about that stuff. That's not what USC is looking for in these problems. Gotcha. So sometimes you see these from other schools and it, it sort of is a veiled Y college X essay, but you're saying that that is not the case here, that this really is about academic interests and the, the direct opportunity to study them at USC, what USC specifically can offer. Correct. Yeah. And I think that 
ties into USC's overall goal since the early 90s, which has been to make the university much more selective and much more rigorous and, you know, hence the dropping down to a 16% admission rate. So I think they're trying to look for students who are seriously academic and intellectual and are not choosing the school just because it seems like a fun place to live for four years. Right. It does seem like a fun place to live for four years. Um, <laughs> it also is a fun place to go to school, I think. And uh, if you do a little bit of digging and research, you'll find some of that stuff. You know, we work with students who often recycle a lot of their supplements. And um, it doesn't seem like it would be a good idea to recycle a supplement for this particular question, how, how you plan to pursue your academic interests at USC. Is this something that you encourage students to start from scratch? Or that can they use a framework that they might have used for the University of Michigan? Um, or I think Brown has a question like this. Uh, how original should this draft be? Um, I, I think there is a framework that you can keep for some of these schools. Like, I don't know. We All admission officers know you're probably writing a lot of essays, and nobody is going to dock you for having a template that you can maybe plug in different details and different names of schools into. But, um, but these vary a lot by phrasing. They vary a lot by length. Like Michigan gives you much more room to answer this question than USC does. So um, I right. think for, for this, you need to maybe make a new version that is pretty short and concise and very USC-specific. And and it shouldn't be just one where everything is a generality and, and then at the end. It's, and that's why USC would be a great right. fit um, right. because that makes it really obvious that you just copied and pasted in USC. I mean, you know, or like some students, you forgot to copy and paste and just left in the name of another <laughs> university. <laughs> that happened a few times to us uh, when we had our Y read essay back in the day. And um, it never reflected well on the student. So at least one, one proofread can help you avoid that problem. Uh, the reason the reason I asked about recycling uh, uh, essay topics also f- is because I think both option A and option C, going back to that first essay, are topics that you see for other um, schools. You've got um, USC believes that one learns best when interacting with people of different backgrounds, experiences, and perspectives. Tell us about a time you were exposed to a new idea or when your beliefs were challenged by another point of view. Um, that is very similar to the Colorado Boulder supplement, similar to a Duke supplement. Um, and then option C is what is something about yourself that is essential to understanding you, which really could be almost anything. Um, how much would you encourage students to write original essays for these two options versus um, recycling something they've used from another school? Uh, I think for option A, the times when your beliefs are challenged by another point of view or you encountered a new idea, yeah, I think you can repurpose that, to be honest. I've, I've read that bolder one as well. and. I, they're almost the same thing. I, I think maybe this is a little bit shorter um, in its requirement, but uh, yeah, right. I think you can repurpose it. I mean, nobody at USC is going to know that you did the same thing for Boulder, so I think that's fine. Just just read the language closely. Make sure you're still sticking to the prompt. I think for option C, what is something about yourself that is essential to understanding you? That is kind of vague, and I'm sure you could repurpose yeah. a lot of essays for it, but I would only answer this question if there's something else about yourself that is really important that isn't made clear in the rest of the application because if you just spend option C using 250 words to reiterate how hardworking you are or how much you want to be a doctor and you've already covered that elsewhere in the application then it's just not going to add anything to to the application so I would only do this if there's something that just didn't come up like oh you know I it doesn't come up, but I've been raised in a single parent household and that's had a big impact on me and, and my relationship with my mom and my sister, or, you know, I spent the first 12 years of my life in speech therapy for a stutter and that had this huge impact on me. So something that maybe your, your big essay didn't cover, maybe it doesn't come up on your resume, but is really important to your biography. 
I see. So, so you're really saying that one has to jump out of you um, because there's something that you haven't had an opportunity to share elsewhere. Probably not a continuation of, say, an extracurricular uh, uh, activity that you've put into your activities list, but something that maybe doesn't show up elsewhere. I think so. I mean, unless there is, I could see if there's an activity that you really, you know, you only have 150 characters, if you didn't get a chance to expand on it, and you want to say like, hey, I I know I mentioned that I I do ballet. I've actually been doing this since I was three. Kind of a big deal to me. It's impacted me in those ways. Then I think that makes sense. But I just wouldn't want you to beat a dead horse. Like something you wrote about in your essay, you don't need to expand on an option C. um, And you don't need to just be really vague in general, like to spend the whole essay just talking about the fact that you're persistent and hardworking. Like, you're, that's probably evident from the rest of your application. So I would just want students okay. to pick something pretty specific to focus on if they go for C. It also seems like hardworking, unless it's like above and beyond. That's something that you tend to take for granted. I mean, it's something that you see in letters of recommendation. It's It sort of is a boilerplate uh, term. So while you may be mm-hmm. proud of being hardworking, I think you have to have really strong evidence to point to that, a story that you can tell that shows that hardworking nature, because most students would describe themselves at hardworking as hardworking. It's hard to draw a distinction there. Um, mm-hmm. so, so to recap, option B really seems to be for somebody who tends towards interdisciplinary interest. You've got a clear idea of what you want to study, but you really are excited by other unrelated disciplines, although they could be slightly related. Uh, option A is a great opportunity perhaps to recycle another essay that you've seen that's, that's about diversity and difference, but is, is a good one if you've got a story that you can tell. And then option C is something that doesn't appear elsewhere in your application that really is essential to understanding you. Sounds good. Let's let's move on to the next set of short questions. And I actually experienced sort of a revelation with you on these because students tend to put a lot of thought into them. There are these very simple questions like describe yourself in three words. What's your dream job? What's the best movie of all time? What's your dream trip? And I think there's a lot of hand wringing around this for students like, how do I need to answer this? What should I say? Um, What was your approach when you were reading these short questions? Um, I think for the with the quick takes is what we call them, um, and I would say for each student's quick takes, I probably devoted about five seconds to reading them. So that's not to say they don't matter and they're not a fun part of the application, but that's what they're there for. They're just kind of fun and silly and light, and we never read much into them. And unless you put something really alarming in there, like if you listed Mein Kampf right. as your favorite book, going to have a little bit of an issue with that. Um, so I think we did sometimes, you know, look for red flags there, but know that they were not a big deal. We were looking more for creativity, intellectual spark, maybe some originality and answers. Um, but it was nothing that would really like make or break an application. So, so would you say that like for 95% of students filling this out, this is sort of just sort of disrupts the rhythm of reading an S, uh, an application and, and adds a little levity, but doesn't really matter in terms of the long-term decision. And maybe exactly, for, yeah. It was it was kind of a fun break for the reader, but I, I think that ultimately the people who put the, together the application they they hoped and thought it would be a fun thing for students too. And clearly, students are overthinking it and stressing out yeah. about it, which was not the goal. I think this truly was a time to just let the student have fun. And some students embrace it and they love it, and they they think it's the most fun part of the application. And others, yeah, overanalyze it and you know question every response that they're thinking of. Um, so I would tell them, don't do that. Just actually just pick your favorite things. Don't worry about seeming too highbrow. Um, and you can be lofty and silly, too. Like for a dream job, that, that doesn't necessarily mean your realistic dream job, like being a pediatrician. It can mean 
you want to be a moon colonizer? Like, whatever. Just go crazy with those answers. <laughs> okay. That is Emily's dream job. And I think that's a great place for us to end. Oh, my God. No, that is, I would hate to colonize the moon. Please don't ever ask me to do that. All right. So you're going to keep both feet squarely on the ground in New York City. Uh, any any big plans for you for, for the Thanksgiving holiday coming up? Um, no, my family's pretty far away. So I'll be sticking around New York City for Friendsgiving instead. Awesome. Well, uh, I hope you have a great time, that you enjoy the feast. Um, and thanks a lot for coming on the show to talk about USC. Thank you. Uh, folks, we are jumping into some very important financial aid calculations when we return. So you won't want to miss it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And we're back. Welcome back to the show. Uh, before we dive into our final finance segment of the day, I want to shine a spotlight on UT Austin, deep in the heart of Texas. What starts here changes the world. Sorry, guy. I, I wasn't sure I was going to do that, but I, di- I did it. All right. Quote, what starts here changes the world. The University of Texas at Austin boldly believes that their students are destined for greatness. And it's no wonder the university attracts some of the brightest minds from Texas and around the world. About 10% of undergraduates hail from out of state, which means 90% are from in-state for you math majors. Uh, but with nearly 40,000 underclassmen enrolled, you're sure to find classmates with shared interest. UT's most popular colleges are the College of Natural Science, the College of Liberal Arts, and the School of Engineering. In the university's well-known school of business, 100 high-achieving freshmen 
have the opportunity to take part in a fast-paced, in-depth business honors program modeled after UT's own MBA curriculum. There's no question that academic opportunities abound at UT. First-year science students can take advantage of the Freshman Research Initiative, which places several hundred freshmen in laboratories to earn course credit while they conduct their own cutting-edge and publishable research. And don't forget that UT Austin's priority application deadline was on November 1st. So that's a good time for you juniors to get your app in next year if you're learning about uh, UT Austin for the first time. Uh, Fun fact, even though the famed Longhorn Marching Band is housed within the School of Music, students from any major can join. But first, you have to pass two auditions, attend a summer marching clinic, and attend band week. So how about that? Uh, Shannon, Welcome to the show. I got Shannon Vasconcelos on the show, and we're going to talk about the net price calculator. And uh, I'm I'm really sorry I threw you for a loop on that Texas introduction. Yeah, I don't think I can take this net price calculator talk seriously after that (laughs) introduction to UT. Well, we've got Shannon Shannon on the show. Um, Shannon is a big fan of all things fall. Uh, she's probably drinking. What what was the latte that you had today? Something I saw well, on today Facebook. Today we, we've actually started to progress into the the winter season with a chestnut praline latte. Chestnut you know, I love my pumpkin latte. spice, but now we're getting out of the the pumpkin season into the chestnut praline. It's a very yeah. exciting time of transition for me. Shannon has really carved out an identity within our college coach team, <laughs> given her interest <laughs> in all things fall uh, and even winter. It sounds like now. Um, and I, I felt like our listeners uh, should know that about you as well. So <laughs> let's, the <laughs> ostensible topic of today's show, that's right, is not uh, how to calculate the price of a chestnut praline latte, but the net <laughs> price calculator for college admission. So what is a net price calculator? A net price calculator is a tool that nowadays every college is required to have on their website. It was mandated by the federal government in, in, I think it was 2011, that every college have this tool available on their website. And what it is meant to do is estimate for future students and, and parents of future students what a particular school would cost you and your family. Um, it, it sort of grew out of this concern about, you know, ever-increasing college costs and the fact that those very high college costs could be scaring people away from college. Um, You can imagine being a a student or a parent looking at the fact that, you know, a private college is going to cost $60,000 a year or, um, you know, even a public college at $20,000 a year and how you, you might look at those numbers and say, well, there's no way I can afford that. So I guess I can't go to college or my child can't go to college. Um, When, in fact, um, you may be eligible for lots and lots of financial aid and would not be asked to pay anywhere near that sticker price. But that's not immediately apparent to to students and parents. All they can see is the school sticker price. Um, They wouldn't know that they were eligible for financial aid or how much financial aid they were eligible for until they actually went through the whole college application process and financial aid application process. Uh, and lots of students, particularly low-income students, where, where the big concern here, would just opt out <laughs> because they right. just assumed they couldn't afford it. They didn't know what financial aid they would be eligible for. They didn't know they would be eligible for any financial aid. Um, so the government mandated that every school 
make available on its website a net price calculator where families can plug in their basic financial information, income and assets, number of people in the household, that kind of thing, and the calculator will spit out for you what aid you would be eligible for at that college, an estimate of what aid you would be eligible for, and, and your net price. So they, they define net price as uh, the college's sticker price minus whatever grants and scholarships they would give you. So you could find out very easily right on a school's website um, what aid you might be eligible for, what that school would actually cost you. Give folks a more realistic idea about college costs because the fact is that most people don't pay that sticker price. The vast, vast majority of students qualify for some type of grant or scholarship discount. Um, So those huge sticker prices that are so scary to people, um, you don't have to be that scared because you are likely to be asked to pay much less than that, and that's what the net price calculators uh, are meant to estimate for you. So if I was a student or a parent, there is no way I would be applying to a college without running a net price calculator. Um, It should really give you a pretty decent idea of what that college would cost you. And you actually don't have to be, you know, a high school student uh, or or parent to to run one of these calculators. Uh, For any folks listening who are wanting to be very prepared and have younger kids, um, you know, you can do this at any time, you know, even when your kids are quite young. If you want to get kind of a ballpark idea of what colleges might ask of you in order to prepare for, you know, what you should be saving, um, also great to use net price calculators very, very early on in the process. Yeah, I, I went and uh, just started one the other day because I was just interested in looking looking at it, but I, I only had like two minutes uh, before my next meeting, yeah. so I didn't get a chance to actually fi- finish it. It, it. It sounds like this is something that's great that y- you can basically do anytime you want. How accurate is it? Does it does it work really well? Is it something that we should be you know take with a grain of salt? Like what's what's our approach to whatever that net price calculator spits out for us? Yeah, so a college will never you know, guarantee the results of their net price calculator. They are meant to be estimates. Um, they generally do work pretty well. They are definitely better than, than what we used to have, which was nothing. <laughs> People really went into this process blind, so net price calculators are, are, are a huge improvement on, on the situation you know, a few years ago. Um, they do have some flaws, though. Um, so one thing you'll notice, if you start going to various colleges' websites and playing around with their calculators, you will quickly see that they're all different. There's no standardization um, across um, all the different colleges and how, um, how they ask their questions, how the results are presented. Colleges generally contract with vendors that, that helps them set up these calculators. So they're all different. Um, in general... I would say the more information a calculator asks for, the more you can trust the results. If it's pretty quick, only, you know, a few questions, um, you know, you might have to take it with more of a grain of salt than a calculator that takes a little while to complete, asks you a lot of questions. Um, Those tend to be, provide much more accurate results. Um, Some other kind of flaws, um, they are... Colleges are only required to have these calculators to estimate aid for um, for freshman applicants. If you're a transfer mm-hmm. student, um, the results might not apply to you because the college might have a different awarding policy. Um, if you're a graduate student, they don't have to have them for their graduate schools. Uh, also, if you're from 
um, a divorced household, usually actually the, the calculators still work fine because most colleges only require one parent's financial information, and that's the parent the student lives with most of the time. There are some colleges that go after both parents' financial information, and these calculators don't accommodate that very well. They can generally only look at one household. So sometimes if your parents are divorced, they're not going to work well for you. Um, The other flaw that a lot of the calculators have is, again, the only requirement of these calculators is that they help estimate need-based financial Mm -hmm. aid eligibility. Um, so you, you, if you're kind of a higher income family, you might not have any need-based aid eligibility at schools, and that's a valuable piece of information to learn. So the calculator serves that purpose, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're paying full price because your child might qualify for merit scholarships. Um, and most of the calculators out there do not estimate merit scholarships. There are some that actually do. Those are my favorite calculators that are really all in and estimate need-based data and merit scholarships. Um, The way you'll know is if a calculator asks you for academic information, if it asks about, you know, GPA and SAT scores, things like that, that's your indication that it's also taking merit scholarships uh, into account and can really give you a pretty good idea of kind of all in what you would be expected to pay, what grants, what scholarships uh, you would be eligible for. But again, those calculators are, are more the rarity. Most of them don't incorporate merit scholarships. So they don't do it all, um, but, but they, in general, fairly good estimates, at least of need-based aid. For the, the schools that do use academic information to calculate merit scholarships, um, do they tell you what part of the uh, financial aid offer is going to be merit versus uh, need-based aid? Yes, they generally okay. do. Um, I guess that it's another thing that, that depends on, on the particular calculator, how explicit they make it. Um, they may just say, here is a dean scholarship and here is a freshman grant and not provide mm-hmm. more explanation than that. As a general rule, if you're trying to interpret these things and they don't make it explicit what's merit and what's need-based, usually if a college uses the term scholarship, they're referring to merit-based money, and usually grant refers to need-based money. There are gotcha. definitely exceptions to that rule, but that's usually the case. Yeah, well, I mean, it wouldn't be any fun if we couldn't say it depends about some of our answers <laughs> exactly. on the show here, we have to- right? say those words at least once per segment. That's exactly right. Um, Are there any tricks to competing the net price calculator? You know, when I went in uh, last week to just play around with one, um, I found that it it started asking me for information that I didn't really have off the top of my head. Um, Anything I need to know if I want to jump in there and get a really accurate estimate? Yeah, and again, for some of them, they don't ask very specific information. You probably could do it off the top of your head. The the good ones that are very specific, they're going to ask for numbers like your adjusted gross income, um, your wages, your taxes paid. Um, So you might want to have a copy of your last tax return in front of you. That that would make it kind of easiest to fill out. Also, they're going to ask for, you know, balances in your bank accounts and investments that you might have. So kind of account statements, those would be. Uh, good things to have on hand to help fill them out. Um, the other kind of just things to note, um, sometimes um, they will 
um, ask for your name and address. Um, the, the colleges have found that these calculators uh, can serve as good kind of um, ways to solicit information so then they can market to you. Um, they are, those questions are actually supposed to be optional. They're not supposed to require those. Uh, I found that they are not always optional. So if a school does ask those, those questions uh, about your name and address, if you don't want to provide it, um, you can always just make up a fake name. Um, you know, say you're Mickey Mouse or Kaiser Sose, and <laughs> then they will let you move on with the calculator. Um, it's totally fine. If you want to provide their information, that's great, and just be prepared that you'll start receiving, you know, some brochures from the college. Um, but in general, you know, if you have your financial information on you, the information you get out of the calculator is only as good as what you put in. Um, so you, you want to make sure that the numbers you're putting in are fairly accurate so that you get a fairly accurate output. You know, we, we talk a lot about early decision uh, on the show and, you know, some, some families ask, you know, when can I get out of an early decision agreement? And the answer is, well, it, you really shouldn't be asking that question, but usually it comes down to finance and a difference between what kind of aid you expected versus the kind of aid you received. Is it fair to sort of base your expectations for financial aid in general on a net price calculator at the school's website? And that's exactly what I recommend to folks who are considering applying early decision. I know I say, don't you dare apply early decision without filling out the net price calculator um, because it, they usually do give you a pretty good estimate of what you would actually be expected to pay. So you need to be run the net price calculator and make sure you are comfortable with that net price that it's showing you before you even consider applying early decision. Um, I would also actually um, print up a copy of, you know, the, your inputs into the calculator and the yeah. output um, so that you have some um, sort of evidence of what, what the school has provided as an estimate of, of your financial aid in case they come back to you with something different. And you do have to go back and try and get out of that early decision contract. Um, you can show them that in good faith that you expected to be able to afford this school and um, they are showing you different numbers than, than what they provided up front and that should be reason enough to allow you out of your early decision contract. Um, but yeah, you know, everybody should be filling out these net price calculators, but for sure, before, before you apply early decision, you have to be comfortable with, with the output of that calculator. Perfect. And, and that's great advice for, for anybody who's looking at an ED2 option right now, or if you're a parent of a junior and considering ED for next fall. Um, that's all the time we've got for today, Shannon. I'm going to thank you for coming and talking about net price calculators and, and lattes. Uh, thanks a lot for being here. <laughs> Anytime. We are off next week. Uh, in celebration of the Thanksgiving holiday. So uh, don't tune in for a show on Thanksgiving. How do you like them apple pies? Uh, two weeks from today, we'll be back to talk through the final month of the college application cycle and your RD strategy. What should your list look like? What are some final details that you need to consider as you ready those apps to make their way out the door by January 1st? Tally Ganga and College Coach will walk you through your remaining steps. We'll also be taking your listener questions on both admission and financial aid. So send questions to us anytime at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. That's all for today. I want to thank you all for joining us on Getting In and wish you the best as you gear up for Thanksgiving, whether you're preparing the bird for the first time like me or just bracing yourself for a weekend with extended family. May the odds be ever in your favor. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.